How's it going, everybody? Welcome to episode 23 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. Now, this is a good one. I'll tell you, though, I'll be honest, I had I had a doozy of a time. This, this damn computer of mine, it's so old. And I'm not going to go into the details too much except to say that I lost... A good chunk of audio um, on my end. Luckily, Coleman was recording on his end too. Now, Coleman's a buddy that goes way back. Um, you know, he's he's just a really smart dude. He's somebody whose opinion I I respect. Um, you know, he he gives things a lot of thought, and him and I don't always agree. That's for damn sure. But as I said, you know, I lost a big chunk of my side of the audio. It's actually about the first 45 minutes or hour, something like that, that I lost on my end. And trust me, I've tried to recover it, but long story short, the file got corrupted. Now, I'm just telling you this because I'm hoping you'll give me just an inch or two of leeway and um, recognize just that the conversation flow might not be as good as it as it truly was when we were speaking but what i've tried to do is go back and you know sort of insert the questions and and re-record a couple of responses um you know because i want this to flow as as it did or as close to um as possible so if it feels a little clunky for the first hour that's that's why that's why i'm explaining this but this conversation is really really good and i know it's a long one but i hope you'll you'll stick with us we're going to explore some some really interesting territory so with that let me introduce you to coleman thanks for having me man this is uh my first time doing a podcast, so I'm stoked. Yeah, I mean, longtime podcast listener, first time podcaster. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you, man. You know, I've been I've been looking forward to doing this. Uh, why don't you just start by sort of telling the audience, you know, who you are, what you do, that kind of stuff. Yeah, my name is Coleman. Um, and I live in Portland, Oregon, and originally from Indianapolis, so that's how we know each other. And um, yeah, I make a living as a dentist, um, and in my free time, I enjoy the outdoors, backpacking, mountain climbing, and uh, writing and producing music. I'm curious if you could... Um try to sort of explain your personal philosophy to us. Um, I know that's a big question to ask, but if you, if you could kind of keep it, you know, in as few words as possible, what, what is your guiding philosophy in life? Yeah, man. So it's funny. I actually I tried to make this diagram of my life philosophy like three or four years ago. Yeah. And at the time I made this little triangle 
<clears throat> and it was just like, you know, each point um, represented something and then like I wanted to make it all connect. And so one, one point was help others. One was create and one was experience. So basically, um, you know, experience the beauty of the world, experience the beauty created by others and create beauty for others to experience. Um, help others so that they can experience more beauty and then um, help others so that they can also create more beauty. And that was kind of like where I was, you know, a few, a few years ago. Um, but I think in general, you could probably sum up like the help others part is just love. Um, and then the experience part is, is kind of, um, having a, a curiosity and enjoying, um, just everything life has to offer. And then I also have been kind of living for a while with this idea of create more than you consume. Um, so basically create that can mean, you know, it could mean art, it could mean music, but it also could just mean creating, um, some sort of entertainment for yourself or others. So that could be sports, that could be working out, it could be gardening. Um, basically, something that isn't passive consumption. Yeah, you know, your uh, comment about sort of creating more than you consume makes me think of leave no trace ethics. And, um, you know, anyways, I, I guess I'm just stoked to have you because I know we have a lot of mutual interests. Um, and shared values, um, and we we do have some some disagreements on things, as anyone does. But you know, you have a very nuanced way of thinking. Right, right. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. I I think I'm a little bit at an advantage because I kind of grew up in a more conservative area and then moved to a more liberal area. So I've, I've got like a pretty good sense of the virtues of, of both sides of, you know, politics or what have you. So I've, I've kind of, um, had to, you know, try to figure out a way to make sense of, of both sides. And in doing that, you know, you have to go deeper. You have to think critically, um, you know, I actually wrote down something, uh, something that I had tweeted, um, a little while ago and it, it's, uh, you'll know one's depth of knowledge by his level of certainty. The waters are clearest at the surface. There's contradiction revealed in the heart of reality itself. If only one goes deep enough in pursuit of truth. So basically, you know, if somebody is very, very certain about something, chances are they're probably at that surface level. They haven't gone they haven't gone deep enough to really get into the 
the murky waters of reality. <laughs> you know, it seems to me like you know a lot of a lot of folks are kind of like acting as if they know what's right or what's wrong for everybody, but but a lot of us are out there right now that are a little less convinced or a little less certain and you know I think I think it's kind of cool to see how many people are genuinely asking like difficult questions and and trying to seek out the truth right well I think it I think there was like a a veneer of um you know of clarity and distraction and and covid just pulled that away <laughs> yeah yeah i think so and then people like us got like pushed really deep because we had nothing to do we had nothing to do but sit around and just just be way too deep in our own in our own minds <laughs> so i i did a episode not long ago about that scene in the matrix with the uh the red pill and the blue pill, right? And you know, it's almost embarrassing because I think the whole red pill thing is almost being overplayed, but it it is a good metaphor. And uh, you know, I think at a certain point, a lot of us kind of like woke up to just the immensity of our challenge um, right now. I'm and I'm I'm curious because I've been thinking about this kind of stuff for a while now, like well before COVID, and I feel like you have too. Um, so could you kind of tell us maybe like how you, how you got interested in like philosophy and politics, like where it began for you, if you, if you could say, you know, well, I think it, I think it really probably kicked off, you know, with, with Trump's election, um, just kind of an interest in, you know, that, that obviously peeled back some of that veneer you know, like, Oh, holy shit. What's going on in the world? Like, uh, you know, there's, there's some problems here that have been festering in society that, um, are kind of boiling over. And, um, so I think, you know, I, I kind of started having, asking a lot of questions about, you know, um, you know, could our, could our society be set up better? Um, are, are there things that we can change to help everybody have a more fulfilled life? Um, and so I, I started reading, um, some books and one of them was, uh, bullshit jobs by David Graeber. Have you heard of this book? I think I think you might be interested in it. Um kind of just talks about you know the in America, well in the West in general, we've kind of held work as a supreme value. And at that same over that that same period of time, we've you know had automation and changes in the job landscape that kind of we got more efficient, but still held the work work as like this supreme value. So we just decided to just 
keep the amount of work that we do the same and fill it with a bunch of just filler, which created more jobs that weren't as fulfilling for, for people, you know, um, you can easily get your 40 hours a week, but you're, you're not necessarily satisfied by it. Right. Exactly. And we're, and we're, we're incentivized to do little because, you know, if you can just like, if you get paid the same to do the bare minimum versus like, like if you go above and beyond and you're like not really getting rewarded that much, you're going to eventually just give in and just like do the bare minimum and like just do bullshit. (laughs) I've joked that that's exactly what public school teaches, right? Like, like I learned how to do the bare minimum. Um, And it's kind of funny because like, you know, my older sister and she was, she was the valid Victorian, right? She was the one that, that really wanted to excel and like, and that's awesome, you know, but I never quite understood it myself. I, I was always happier with a B plus than I was with an A plus, you know, like I kind of understood the idea of diminishing returns on effort, um, in that kind of environment where like, what's the point, right? Like, <laughs> right. No, totally. Because the difference in the time it would take to get that A plus is just like double the amount of study time, you know, you read it's yeah. You reach diminishing returns when you're trying to get that, that hundred percent. But the, the key is, is it meaningful work? That's the key because if you are doing something that you find meaningful, um, you'll, you'll do that you know, even if, even if you don't have to, like, that's, that's, that's what we're, you know, that's what we do as humans. We want to, you know, the joy of being the cause in the world. We want to affect change in the world in a positive way. We want to do meaningful work because that, that brings us fulfillment. So, I mean, we want to do that, but it's like our system doesn't maximize that. And, like you said, if it's incentivizing a lot of just bullshit and, uh, and, and kind of like beating that desire for meaningful work out of us because we're doing work that we don't find meaningful, um, that can have all kinds of bad psychological effects. Um, you know, and, and that's where I think people, if they're kind of beaten down by just, you know, work that, that they're not being fulfilled in, then they kind of give up at some point um, and, and kind of forget, forget like what it is that's, that would drive them, you know, if they're and and if they're doing work that makes them exhausted when they're in their free time they're not going to have the energy to figure out what it is that drives them and and they get enjoyment from they're just going to want to pursue you know consume this passive entertainment yeah it's kind of it's kind of wild kind of interesting how uh you know it's like the more mundane the work right 
the more exhausted you are and you go home and you just sort of engage in even more mundane leisure activities. Yeah, just vegging out to the television or whatever. And it's almost like the more engaging your work, the more you're engaged in your off time too, right? And I think, uh, you know, aside from like enjoyable work, the other component to, to living a fruitful life and maybe engaging in better leisure is, is sort of having that community, right? And you and I grew up in the same church. And for a time, I think that church was a really strong community in many ways. Um, you know, it had its flaws though, and it was clearly very fragile. Um, but you know, at its peak, it was like, it was really cool, right? There was a good youth program. Like I've still got friends from that time and, you know, going to camp was always a good time, but like, you know, I've got my qualms with some of the things that were kind of pushed on us as far as ideas go, but you know, it wasn't all bad is my point. Um, I mean, what do you think? Absolutely. For, for all of, you know, you know, what we can say about Christianity that we had, I have some great memories and met some amazing people there. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I think is really like lacking in the church a lot of times is an emphasis on food, right? Like I think food has to be at the center of our communities and our culture because, you know, like it's pretty fucking important, right? Like we all need to eat. That's really interesting. You say that because like the traditional, like Sunday church dinner is just the least healthy food. And it's like, your body's a temple, right? So let's just <laughs> like. <laughs> so I'm I'm tempted to bring up sort of how our our church kind of fell apart, but you know that's it's kind of dramatic, and you know I don't want to go into the details or anything, but you know it's just such a shame that like a whole community could be torn apart by what what was basically just a an individual like sex scandal. And it's just, it's really a shame, right? I mean, do you even want to go there or what? Like, I guess, I guess the question would be like how, if we were going to fall back on sort of religion, you know, how would we make the, the church a little more, a little more resilient or a little more inclusive or, you know, how do we make it better? Right. Let's talk more about, um, so actually, I think I could continue down what what I was talking about because I think that'll tie back in. Um, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, over the last several years, I, I read that book and then I started like hearing these ideas about things like UBI, which got me into this whole kind of um, interest in, in human nature um, and this idea that, you know, are, are humans inherently lazy? Um, are humans inherently bad or good? Um, and you know that, so that was, that was a whole thing. And then I, I kind of, um, over the last year with COVID and, you know, all the protesting and everything last summer, um, 
basically I, I just looked up and was like, yeah, we need, we need something to unify people. And, you know, I, I guess there's, there's maybe like two things that could unify Americans is it's just love of country or some, some sort of religious structure that can, that can provide community. And so I kind of got a little bit interested in actually re-exploring some of my like Christian upbringing that I had kind of distanced my, myself from, um, as, as kind of like a, can, can we use this, can we use this scaffolding of this religion to build something that, that could provide a community structure? I know that's kind of Jordan Peterson's argument, right? That it could be, could be useful. I mean, do you believe that? So as you know, the version of Christianity that I, I kind of, I guess was given or, you know, grew up around. I don't, I don't think that it could be very useful in that because it's, it's kind of inherently exclusive. Um, it, it, you know, pretty much immediately excludes people with other religious beliefs. Um, and it, you know, has a lot, it's, you know, there's a pretty big element of it that's based in fear and, and repression a little bit. I, I think one of the things that I don't, I dislike about the, the version that was presented to me was um, a fairly literalistic reading and interpretation, which I think then gives you all of these really sharp edges that, you know, if you do this, it's really bad, but like, if you believe in Jesus, it's okay. But like, also it's really, really bad. And like, you deserve hell, but, but just, you know, just believe in the, you know? Yeah. It, so it's like this, it's like this back and forth thing. And, and it's like, uh, I don't know. It doesn't, it didn't, didn't, it doesn't seem healthy. It, it didn't work. It, it just doesn't work for me. So I, I have actually found that a more metaphorical interpretation of of a lot of the Bible and, and Christianity has been a way for me to actually kind of look at the good parts and go back and kind of like reinterpret it in a way that seems helpful without all of this kind of like um, <laughs> like, yeah, without these like metaphysical claims about the afterlife and what's going to happen to you if you don't believe in, I, I don't know. It's just all of that stuff seems unnecessary and, and, uh, negative. Makes me think of, um, of the Catholic church and how they, they don't really encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. At least this is what I've, I don't know, come to be, come to be told, come to understand. 
you know, I'm not Catholic, so I, I can't say for certain, but it's like, I don't think they're encouraged to interpret. I think that's what the priest is supposed to do for you. And that's what the Pope is supposed to do is, you know, interpret the Bible for, for mass. You know, right. Like, it's funny. They even call it mass. Like you are a mass of people. You're not even remotely an individual. And that, that, that's an interesting argument to maybe have, but I guess I'm curious to get your thoughts on that sort of interpreting things for yourself. Right. That was the beginning of like Protestantism is, you know, interpreting it for yourself. But that, that also can be bad because then you have a lot of people that, you know, believe that the earth is 6,000 years old all of a sudden. And they're <laughs> taking everything perfectly, literally. And I mean, I, I would say let them, right? Like let them think whatever, who cares? It's, you know, it's, it's like, let people be as goofy as, as they want to be. But I think the best ideas will, will rise, right? The cream will rise to the top over time. Um, but then again, you know, I'm not sure because, you know, it's like, like Mormonism is the fastest growing religion. And I think they've got some pretty, pretty weird ideas, but I think, I think you can just let people sort of figure it out for themselves. But, you know, I might be wrong there. I might be wrong. I, I would argue what, what damage are they doing? But, you know, I'm not sure. Well, I think, I think, I think it does do damage though, because I think it, those like that interpretation of Christianity gives it a bad rap and it could actually, you know, kids are being raised to think this stuff. So, right. Yeah. And you know, you've got the extreme end of that, but, um, you know, if a lot of times, if, if it's like, you know, I don't, I don't blame some of those people. Cause if they're actually told like, this is a literal God telling you this literally, and they take it seriously. Like if you you know, if you follow it literally, those are the conclusions that you would reach. But, um, I don't think it was ever meant to be that way. Like you said, I mean, Jesus himself spoke in parables. I mean, the guy, the guy always, he only had like 12 guys following him. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I went back and I, I started reading, um, Matthew and I was, I was kind of struck by like how many times they were constantly like, Hey, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about? You know, it's like, cause he was just speaking in the, this figurative language. And I I was pretty um, intrigued by the just the idea of Jesus as the highest ideal of a human. Yeah. And, you know, so it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter if he's like literally the son of God, whatever that means, uh, if he was actually even a, a real historical person or not. It doesn't matter because you still are just striving to be a good person, striving to be the ideal person. Um, and so, you know, that's where for me, like 
taking it so literally uh, distracts from the usefulness of it. So have you gotten into anything sort of aside from Christianity? Yeah, man, I've, I've gotten, um, I've gotten into meditation recently in the past couple of years. And so, I mean, you could say that I've had some influence from Buddhism. Um, but yeah, I think, um, there, there is a lack of a contemplative tradition in, in the Christian tradition. Um, and you know, if I talk about non-duality, if I talk about the self as an illusion, you know, I think most of the people that we went to church with would, would have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but these are things that I, that have been really helpful for me personally. What do you mean by non-duality? So duality or dualism, you know, is, is just kind of the idea that there's a subject and an object, um, that, that you have a separate sense of self and this can be actually, um, proven to be false through direct experience through meditation. Um, you can actually through, you know, adequate attention to your mind and to reality, um, just realize that, uh, the story of you, which is this separate sense of self that you have, um, is, is false. I mean, it, it kind of breaks down through direct experience. Um, and it sounds weird to just talk about. And so it's one of those things that, you know, doesn't make a lot of sense until you actually sit down and kind of try it and walk through it. Um, How do you feel about the aliens? <laughs> Are they here? Do you believe it? <laughs> I mean, have you, <clears throat> have you given it much thought really at all? If they are here, like, what do you think they're doing? <laughs> you know, in in th in three in three words, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but man, I wish they would. I wish they would communicate with us and give us some some information about the universe. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny, man. I just. I can't help but wonder, you know, and think about it. And like, I don't know if it's all just BS or if it's legit, but if it is legit, my theory is that they're just here to like, you know, I, I call it like a wink. Like they're just winking at us. Like, hi, we see you. Like you guys are being stupid. Like, you know, they've been supposedly interfering with like nuclear sites, like doing, you know, flying over, restricted airspace over nuclear, you know, missile silos and, you know, like messing with the computer systems and, you know, not everybody's going to believe this shit, but, you know, this is stuff that's like being confirmed by the government and uh, it's just crazy, right? It's just crazy and I can't help but wonder, um, but like, it'd be great if, you know, 
they were just kind of straight with us about this stuff. Uh, you know, it's, it's like people talk a lot of shit about Joe Rogan, you know, but like, I got to give the guy credit, you know, he's not, he's not the smartest guy out there, but he's genuinely like trying to find out the truth about things. And, um, you know, like people made fun of him for a long time about his interest in aliens, but it's kind of like the shit's all being legitimized all of a sudden. So, you know, I don't know. I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, we definitely have a vacuum of leadership. And in place of that, well, simultaneously, we have the Internet. And so everything is just fractured. All, you know, all of this information is just fractured into so many, some crazy ideas, some not, and... You know, but we've, you know, we've got this, you know, kind of distrust with our institutions, right? Which a lot of that is justified. Um, but yeah, man, I think uh, if the alien showed up, that could be maybe the most unifying force for humanity possible. <laughs> We're here, but you guys are so dumb that you're not worth our time. So get it together. <laughs> Man, talk about uh, talk about not worrying about things you can't control. That's kind of my... <laughs> I'm just like... I'm like, this is beyond like anything I could ever do about... Like, I couldn't ever do anything about this. So, like, my interest in it reaches a limit. Um, I mean... Like I've said before, you know, if these were angels coming down and, you know, being spotted by U.S. military, like it might be, it might perk some people's ears up, but because they don't look like what we expect them to look like, you know, we almost just don't want to accept that this, this is something that seems to be legitimate. I don't know. It's just so funny. It's like, what the fuck's the difference between an alien and an angel anyways, right? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, God could be an alien and we're just, you know, his supercomputer program. So, we're all in the matrix anyways, right? <laughs> yeah. We 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 really could be. But damn, it's a pretty it's a pretty fun ride. It's a pretty it's pretty damn good simulation. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I think. So, I mean, do you think like more people are starting to like think about this kind of stuff with an or a more open mind? Or do you think most people are just closed off to it? Uh, you know, these kind of weird, difficult topics. I don't know. I don't know if if everybody's doing that. I think a lot of people stay on that surface level. Um, because going deeper is stressful, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's not comfortable. It's, it's a lot more comfortable to stay on the surface. And I think, uh, I think, you know, emotions can keep us on the surface. You know, you see something, you react emotionally. And you just, just, you know, make a decision at that level. But 
it's harder to like try to quiet the, quiet those emotions, take a step back, you know, look at something a little deeper. Um, so I've I've got this Mark Twain quote that I thought was interesting, and I think now's a good time to read it. Um, it says. The common eye sees only the outside of things and judges by that. But the seeing eye pierces through and reads the heart and the soul, finding their capacities which the outside did not indicate or promise and which the other kind could not detect. Now, I, th- I think that's an interesting quote, especially because Mark Twain usually was a man of sort of quip you know little quips little witty you know truisms little you know he's, he invented stand-up comedy he's often silly but this is clearly um, a serious line and I'm, I'm curious what you think about it right the seeing eye versus the common eye yeah well well the, I think that also ties into the ability to say I don't know because you know the common eye looks at the surface puts things in boxes and says, here's the answer. Mm -hmm. You know, which does make life more simple and and easy. And uh, I think in general, it works okay. I mean, it's, I guess we're, we've evolved to be that way in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, we have to keep, I don't know, some percentage of us have to keep asking questions and pushing the limits and looking deeper. And I actually, I just read um, Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's just no. black holes and, you know, all the different, like, particles and antiparticles and dark matter and just all of that stuff that I have no idea. Like I could not, you know, I kind of just read through it just to be like, okay, this is a thing that like smart people are looking into. Great. But my, my takeaway was just the universe is way more mysterious than I could ever imagine. And, and there's a lot going on that I could never really fully understand. And so it kind of just bolstered that, that ability to say I don't know <laughs> you know like there's just so much I don't know yeah I mean that, that goes right back to what I was saying earlier you, you'll know someone's depth of knowledge by his level of certainty yeah man there's uh, I read a book last year called Humankind by Rudger Bregman and kind of the overall theme is that you know seeing people as mostly good is a self-fulfilling prophecy that if we if we do that it's it, it makes it more likely to be true right and so this this kind of goes ties into some of the other things I was looking at you know about people being inherently lazy um, you know a lot of you could say maybe some of the, 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 you know, the worst parts of Christianity 
have an emphasis on the inherent sin, the inherent evil nature of, of man, um, broken. And, you know, a lot of the worship songs are just, you know, I am broken. I am not worthy, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, right, exactly. Same, same here. And, And, you know, it's like, it's very healthy to have the knowledge that, you know, there is, there is evil inside of you. There's, there's bad inside of you, but it goes back to what you were saying about the dualism. You know, it's like equal and opposite. That's, that's inside of us, but we can accentuate the good and bring that out of people. So I, I almost don't even like the language of like good and bad. You know, I think it applies, you know, to certain things, obviously like, you know, murder is bad. Like, Helping your neighbor is good, but in terms of like duality, I think that's kind of like not, not what it's about. Like there's a difference between good and bad and like light and dark. Right. And I think, um, sort of incorporating the dark is, is sort of what we, what we need sometimes to, to be effective or to be you know, that's your assertive nature. That's your, that's your dark energy. That's your, that's these emotions that are very much a part of who we are. And I actually think you can channel that and use it for good. Right. And it's, it's almost like you could equally use your light energy for evil as you could your dark. Right. We see that play out at times where I don't, you know, I'm not sure if I'm making total sense here, but like sort of that yin and yang, like it's not about good and bad. It's just, it's just light and dark and, and balance. And, you know, I think whenever those two energies are balanced, you're, you're, you're going to be a force for good. It's when you're out of balance that, that, that you're not right. Is that, is that making sense? Right. I I, I like what you said about, like let's just get rid of good and bad because there just is what is there's just there's there's just isness you you do not choose your desires you do not choose your thoughts they just arise your feelings just arise you know i i think yeah labeling things as good and bad it it Yeah, it, it fails to just actually have a realization for what reality is. I mean, and you can and you can just recognize that both sides are inside of you, and you know you can choose the thing that, um, you know you can. Choose the thing that brings about the most joy and the least suffering in, in others. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, uh, I was just going to say, you know, yeah, I think that um, emphasizing or, you know, focusing on the 
you know, the capability of, of people to be quote unquote good or helpful or whatever you want to call it tends to bring, bring that about. And, and also, um, living as if being itself is good makes that more likely reminds me of Jordan Peterson whenever uh, he's asked if he believes in God right yeah yeah I think that's definitely a Jordan Peterson thing <laughs> yeah I, I I live as if I believe in God is that what he says yeah I, I act as if it's true because your your beliefs are really at bottom just your actions yeah and i think that um actually both both of those philosophies go hand in hand because you actually have more control of your own mind the more you are able to spend time in meditation and become well acquainted with how your mind is um you become more able to pay better attention as those feelings and thoughts arise and be less reactive to them and therefore actually have even more control over what you do because there is actually some level where especially in today's day and age with social media and um, the targeted advertising on it that we're essentially getting our minds hacked for like hours at a time. (laughs) And, and so the, you know, there's some level today where it's like, not only can you not control what others do, you can't, can't, you're not really in control of what you're doing a lot of the time. You know, there's no doubt like we're being brainwashed, like literally brainwashed. Um, You know, I don't really care if you're, watching msnbc tonight or the fucking big bang theory like it's all fucking programming right and i think uh it's not that we have to shut it out entirely but we do need to like um you know ration it or limit it in our lives and at the very least we need to be aware that there there is an influence occurring you know, because at least being aware of it, you're you're maybe a little bit more immune to it, or you know, you can at least defend yourself a bit. But most people just kind of like you said earlier, like passively consume this stuff, and uh, and the effect it has, they 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 don't really see how A leads to B, you know, and. It makes me think of this Eric Weinstein uh, video that you sent me, right? And when he's talking about sort of, um, oh, how do you say it? It was um, reflexive contrarianism, right? And I connected with that. I connected with that idea um, because I have been a bit of a reflexive contrarian. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of okay. Like your reflexes are there for a reason. And, you know, I almost think people have kind of like behaved almost like deer this past year. This this is a reflex that deer have. And it's why they get so, you know, get hit by cars so often is their, their inherent 
reflex when they're when they're under threat is to dart and they never they don't even make a choice as to which direction they go because that takes more time so the deer instinctually just either darts left or right at random you know that's why we hit them with our cars all the time they're not evolved with roads uh, in their DNA right and and automobiles they're they're evolved to avoid you know large predators so it's good to not make decisions if your life is in threat it's good to just react it's a reflex and I think we've kind of been guilty of that you know some people darted left some people darted right but it's time we kind of reflect and 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 reconsider things i believe yeah that's what what meditation helps with is it's a practice that you can do over and over and it's really just failing over and over to um be you know you become lost in your thoughts over and over and every time you recognize that you are lost in thought it's like a bicep curl for your brain where you're able you know where you're able to just be like oh okay, I'm thinking this or, you know, um, Oh, why, why did that just pop it up in my brain? Like uh, that must've been like from something I watched or some subconscious thing or whatever. And it's really the best tool we have to, you know, kind of fight against that. Um, short of, short of completely like just disconnecting from the internet. <laughs> yeah. Dude, dude, I like basically did that for two years. Like I lived off grid, you know, I didn't really have very good cell coverage, no Wi-Fi, you know, no running water, solar power, um, yeah, wood heat. It was awesome. It was awesome. And I was so unplugged for those two years and I really did. I loved it. I loved it, man. Like I raised my dog out there. We were just in, in the in the now like all the time and i really i really miss it that sounds amazing um you know i have short periods where i'll go backpacking for a couple days and um that is not long enough to like retrain my body to like the entire time i'm just like uh like i'm having all of these impulses to like Oh, want to post this to Instagram? Want to do you know? Like, it would be really cool to spend enough time away to just kind of like actually stop my brain from having these thoughts about you know, like this just addiction to the internet. Yeah, man, that's like what I'm talking about when I when I talk about flow, right? Absolutely, yeah. That's that's the power of now. That's being in the present moment and yeah, you know, I feel like I've cultivated a way to try to have, have moments of that kind of like punctuating my, my existence with everything else. I mean, I live in, I live in the middle of a city, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to get there, but I can, I can get there a little bit, but it's brief. Yeah, man. I think, uh, I think you really almost need like a couple of weeks to get that effect 
fully. Like I think the first day or two, you're still thinking about, you know, stuff back home and your troubles. And, and at a certain point, like a day three or four, you kind of, you kind of get into this mode where you're, you're no longer worried about anything other than sort of what's right in front of you. Right. And like, what's for dinner. And, you know, it's really a pretty amazing thing. You know, and there's, there's a challenge to that in itself, the just being out in the back country for an extended amount of time. Like you got to bring a lot of, a lot of gear and a lot of food and you got to think ahead and you gotta, you gotta be careful and you gotta plan out your route and you gotta, you know, set up your shelters and, you know, there's always challenges and it's, it's incredible. But, you know, I know that from what I've seen, you've, you've gotten into pretty like legitimate mountaineering and, you know, that's, that's no joke, man. Like summiting big mountains, you know, using ice axes and shit. And, you know, it's, it's something most people never, ever experience, but I know that there's so much value in, in those endeavors. Right. So, you know, tell us a little bit about that, would you? Yeah, man. I mean, we, we get out there. It's, it's, uh, it's not easy stuff, but, um, yeah, it's partially that it's partially to, I mean, cause I could get away and, you know, still just be kind of like wandering around on, you know, just around some lakes or something, but there's something about having the challenge of actually summiting a peak that's on a trail that is non-existent and just bushwhacking and carrying a backpack full of stuff and all of the different mountaineering gear and all of that um, is partially just because I recognize that putting myself in those situations just balances me out. It, it just kind of resets something um, where I, I just have a new appreciation for the comforts of modernity. I, and I also like have a little bit more, I guess, self-confidence and just, you know, like you, if you put yourself through these difficult things, you just, um, yeah, it just strengthens your, your, uh, mental, your mental strength as well. Well, dude, that's, that's why like wilderness, wilderness therapy is a thing, you know? Um, like I've had quite a few friends work in that, in that world where, you know, you're taking folks out into the wilderness, um, to help them like, you know, gain confidence, gain discipline. You know, a lot of times it's for like troubled teens or it's for people with, with, you know, behavioral issues. And, you know, sometimes like specifically for attention deficit issues. And, you know, it's amazing that the wilderness can like impart these lessons on us. We, we used to talk about it in school in terms of uh, transferable skills where you learn so much more than, than what you're learning kind of on the surface, right? Like learning how to build a fire in the rain is just a really good way to learn how to like deal with adversity and to, to break down a problem into its individual parts and kind of take things one step at a time. And 
I think so much of that uh, can be taught in the backcountry. So I'm a huge like advocate for these kind of these kind of experiences. You know, the problem with some of these kind of programs is that it's almost like brat camp, right? And the kid doesn't want to be there. He's kind of against, you know, he's there against his will. But, you know, I sought these kind of experiences out. I think, you know, for those people that, that just want want these experiences kind of on an instinctual level, like I think you can benefit from them so much. And just just a weekend backpacking trip is a great start, but kind of ever more challenging experiences. You know, that's the whole idea with flow is staying in that sweet spot where your 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 skill is is meeting the challenge at hand and you're kind of at the pinnacle of your abilities. Um, so, you know, starting out backpacking and then working your way into rock climbing or ice climbing or mountaineering or, you know, whitewater rafting or whatever, you know, I think it's, it's, these lessons are, are invaluable, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's all kinds of sicknesses of modernity and the, the mental ones might be the biggest I mean, we're just, yeah, we're just not filling our minds with what they were evolved to be, to be, you know, we're not, we're not putting ourselves in difficult situations. I mean, that's, yeah, like wilderness training and and maybe, I don't know what they do in like Navy SEALs training. I think part of that probably involves the wilderness. But, um, you know, those kinds of things are, yeah, it's just invaluable. Like there's no other way to, yeah, there's no other way to do it because people get so comfortable all the time that like the most minor, if the most minor thing goes wrong, and they're just a little bit uncomfortable. It's like they can't handle it. And that's what I've found is just like you have that perspective of, oh, well, I've been like surrounded by mosquitoes climbing this mountain, completely dehydrated. My buddy is out of water and he, you know, he's waiting for me to like get to the top so I can get water and like... <laughs> This kind of stuff where it's just like anything that comes up, I'm just like, oh, this isn't that. I'm good. <laughs> like, Yeah, you know, like I, I genuinely kind of am worried about sort of a big storm event, right? Or, uh, you know, who knows, a massive power outage or, you know, because we saw like in Texas this past year with that ice storm that just a lot of people don't have the the basic knowledge of how to just ride something like this out you know usually it's not life threatening in its own right these these disasters are not always inherently life threatening but um basically it's 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 our lack of of competence oftentimes that gets us killed or gets us hurt or you know makes us suffer more than we have to like 
if if the power went out here for a couple of weeks, you know, I'd be okay. I I I got candles, I got lanterns, I got, you know, I excuse me, I got food, I got you know, I'll be okay. Um it wouldn't be fun, it wouldn't be comfortable, but like I'd I'd survive, you know. I I worry about the panic and the um just sort of the freezing up that'll that'll often happen when people are faced with adversity and they just simply have no idea what to do. You know, it's, it's these kinds of things that, that worry me a little bit. But part of it is this. I mean, obviously if that happened, you'd be good. But part of it is, I think the entire period of time where that's not happening, the knowledge that, you know, you're good gives you some confidence and some level of just um yeah you like you you have this kind of just a little bit more of a sense of peace in the rest of the time when things are just you know kind of normal and i've i've experienced yeah and i've i've experienced joy with nothing that is you know the other side of it like that's also amazing. Like some of my most blissful moments of uh, in life are when I'm just like sweaty and dirty eating like freeze dried food on top of a mountain. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. So it's like, I know, I know that like if something were to happen and, and my living situation got really rough. Like I know that I could find some joy in that situation and, and like, I'd be good. So like, I don't, I don't stress about it, but yeah, no, I think, but also what you were saying with, if a problem arises just, Oh yeah, I've, I've been in worse stickier situations than this. Like, I can just take this a step at a time and figure it out. And, and that is one of the, that's one of the things that I've really liked and, and taken away from stoic philosophy is if you imagine a life with no problems, that would be the worst life. And so you get to a point where you actually expect problems to arise and get excited when they arise. Like, this is it. Like, this is what I do. Like, what we humans do. We solve problems. Like, it's like I'm I'm just waiting for them now. It's just like I know it's I, what. Like, I wake up in the morning. Like, what's it going to be today? <laughs> like, you know, I'm ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I've kind of gotten to that point with my with my gardening business, right? Where, you know, when I first started, things were kind of scary, kind of intimidating. You know, there's a little bit of just like a little bit of stress of, you know, the, the unknown. And, and as you build those, you know, those skills and like, you know, anymore, it's like I go and meet somebody that's a prospective client and it's like, we're talking about putting in a fence, putting in automated irrigation, talking about, you know, making this thing that's going to be just beautiful and, and functional and, and, uh, and it's like, no problem. Like I got it. Like I, like you said, I kind of almost relish the challenge. Um, now that I, 
now that I feel a certain amount of competence, um, and I think this applies to just life in general, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, because, yeah, if you can get to that point where you have built up a level of skill and confidence to where you're excited about, you know, that challenge arising, then you are, and actually this kind of is another uh, Jordan Peterson thing where he talks about when you have one foot in the known and one foot in the unknown, that's where you're finding meaning. That's, that's where you know you're exactly right where you should be. And man, I, I hope I, my hope is that we can, build a society where everybody can, can get there day to day, you know, be in that, that state where, and like you said, like, that's also the flow state, you know, that's, yeah. I, like I said, I think. I wonder, like, have you put a whole lot of thought into, um, what you might call like, I think they, they one word for it would be like quantum entanglement. Um, you know, there's interesting research that's come out recently about that kind of crazy shit that goes on where you manipulate an atom over here and it it influences something you know way far away instantaneous you know another atom moves um, because they're intertwined like I've become very interested in this idea when it comes to people and like how like I believe there are sort of energy waves um, being exchanged at all times, uh, kind of just floating about us. And, and we, we don't quite perceive them on a, on a conscious level, but I think we, we pick up on it on a subconscious level. And I think maybe we can kind of train ourselves to, to pick up on these things. Like, like I consider myself an empath, you know, I, I am very like attuned with sort of the feelings of people around me and, you know, that can be a little bit challenging at times, but, you know, it's got me thinking about these sort of, these, these frequencies that, that influence us, um, and how, how there's sort of this shared energy between people. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Like I said, I think there is way more mystery than I could ever imagine. And the things that I, you know, (laughs) <laughs> reality is way more mysterious than um, I could possibly understand. Uh, I don't know if um, like on what level scientifically that exists, but for practical purposes, it feels like it does. You know, it, it, you, you, you get a feeling when you walk into different rooms, when you interact with different people, you, yeah, you pick up on a different vibe. And, um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm definitely, I can definitely understand the idea that, you know, the the art comes from somewhere else almost. It, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm actively making it sometimes. Um and it also feels like I'm dying inside if I don't do it. It just is what I, it's just like what I have to do. Um, so yeah, I think, um, it's interesting though. Cause like 
the the way I understand it is like empaths are really like they can't help but be really sad when they're next to someone that's sad or I think that's a bit of a oversimplification actually. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I guess I interpreted that for myself because I, I get to that point where I just need to be alone sometimes, but I interpreted that more as like I'm the, an introvert. Um, I like I like being social, but it drains my energy. And so after a while, I just have to go recharge. And I don't know what to call that, um, but... You know, I think it, I think it totally depends. It's like, what kind of socialization are we talking about? You know, is this, is this a party? Is it a concert? Is it, you know, a couple of buddies playing poker? Is it, you know, family time? You know, what kind of, you know, so I, I never really cared much for the idea that we're either introverted or extroverted. I think that's, that's maybe not the right way of thinking about it, I guess. And to me, like being an empath kind of is more about like, it's not that I get overwhelmed with other people's emotions, although that, that can happen. It's more that I just can't help but notice them. And, you know, as long as I have my shield up, like I, I don't necessarily get influenced like too much by it, but there is sort of a, a palpable, you know, influenced by, by other people's sort of emotional state and you can almost see right through it when when somebody is being less than genuous uh and i don't know so it can be kind of exhausting in that way and i think that kind of tends to be defined as this introvert thing where yeah you you get recharged being alone you get drained being with people but that i think that's just like again an oversimplification um I think there's way more to it than that. Like I have social interactions that totally charge me up and then I have ones that totally drain me. It just, it depends, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Cause it, it does depend on the situation, whether or not I'm drained by it. Yeah. That's, that's a great place to be. I mean, that's, that's where we are as children. Right. And we get, we just, as we get older, we, just get all of these inhibitions, these inhibitory pathways in our brain, right? And that's, it builds these, um, you know, these, you know, certain pathways in our brain get almost like really deep. And we, you know, we care about what people think and we put things in boxes and we, label everything and so that's that's what is helpful about certain psychedelics right is it removes those pathways and those inhibit those inhibitory pathways and in a lot of ways returns us back to where we were in a childlike state you know you you've got me thinking about um a couple of the permaculture design principles. Now, these principles are supposed to be sort of, you know, to me, they're similar in their um, intent to like the bill of rights or the 10 commandments. Like these are, these are kind of rules to live by They're They're more, 
their purpose initially was to be a design template, like a, a design, you know, system. And these 12 principles are supposed to guide you in your design. Now, the first principle is observe and interact. That's step one. It's not to say that you go from step one to two to three to four. You're always jumping back and like circling back and you're doing all the steps all the, all the time, right? But there's a reason they, they said number one is observe and interact. And this is kind of what we're talking about here about, you know, sort of um, finding the truth and, and, and asking hard questions and doing, doing the, the sense making. Now, now principle number four, it's similar, but it's, it's a little different. It's apply self-regulation and accept feedback. And I find this to be an incredibly um, interesting idea, right? So first you observe and interact. Then once you've interacted, you, you kind of see what the result was, right? You, you accept the feedback of, of, of the, of the action that you took. You, you observe how that has influenced things and you apply self-regulation, meaning you take that information and you, you, you circle it back. You, you apply it into your design. You apply it to your knowledge. You know, again, they seem so similar, observe and interact and then, you know, self-regulate and accepting feedback. It's sort of like when you're self-regulating, you are interacting and, you know, it's all mixed together, but these principles are very important in my mind, especially this concept of self-regulation because, I mean, I think these principles apply to everything. Like, does that make any sense? Yeah, you know, it's really hard because... Um... You know, I've, I've, I guess I don't know a lot about permaculture and um, it, just in general, I, f I feel like in a lot of ways we're like, we're like too far gone. Um, we're, we're like society is so addicted to just consumption and passive entertainment and everything else that no one will say no to that and like you know choose a, a you know a kind of a different lifestyle um it, it's it's difficult well <clears throat> i mean you and i kind of chose a different lifestyle right like we were raised in a very comfortable you know suburb and you know by all uh, modern standards it, it's as good of a life as you could hope for but we both kind of you know independently of one another right we weren't like close buds back in the day but we've independently like sought out these challenges and like found our way towards you know wilderness and and putting ourselves you know intentionally in uncomfortable situations which you know you wouldn't expect people to do, but clearly you and I did it. And I, I believe lots of people are sort of craving that. And, you know, there's, 
that's why the outdoor industry is huge. It's huge right now. I mean, you look around at the money people are spending, you know, building these tricked out Jeeps and stuff. I mean, it's because we all have this idea of like, we know, we know at a basic core instinctual level that we, we need, you know, adversity in our lives. Like we, we understand that we've become too comfortable and, and that we've gotten soft in some ways. Right. So say, say more, say more about what you mean by self-regulation. Oh man. It's like my favorite concept. Yeah. It's It's what, it's what allows me to be an anarchist, you know, cause I'm not a moron. Like I know people need like to be regulated, right? Like we need to be regulated, but I believe in self-regulation in terms of systems. Okay. This is not purely on an individual level. This is if, if allowed like systems self-regulate, if you don't, my problem with a lot of like environmental legislation these days or, or food regulations or they're all so well-intentioned right Mm -hmm. on their surface, but their practical implications never ever reach the desired effect. There's always consequences, this and that. Don't get me wrong. Like I I've come from the world of like, I worked in the national parks. I've, I have explored wilderness. I've explored nature preserves. I, I fully understand the need for like public land and like ecological restoration on a large scale. So that's a hard thing to conceptualize without government. But I truly believe the, the self-regulation that the reason they put the word self in there and not just regulation is that it's, it has to be a reflective act. It has to be, and that's on a community level. So just, okay, let's play a game here where we're talking about say Nestle company is fucking shit up, like getting spring water in some community. Right. And the community is getting progressively less and less okay with what's happening. Now, I think in our current state of things, the one thing stopping the community from kicking the corporation out is government protection of that corporation. You know, I'm oversimplifying things here, but like this is how it tends to play out is these rules are written and they sound good, but all they all they serve to do is basically protect the big guys. We, we, we've seen this play out over and over. This is called pattern recognition. This is another permaculture principle. If you see something repeat itself, it's a pattern. It can't be ignored. You need to accept it and move on, right? And mm-hmm. incorporate it into your knowledge and your design, into your, you know, into your strategy. And this, this pattern of, of regulation by government leading to basically these huge mega corporations. I mean, I, I just think, I, I don't know how to tear it all apart, but I just think that's what makes me believe in, I think the people would have more power if we put less faith in these institutions and more faith in ourselves and in our towns and in our, you know, if we could 
basically stand up for ourselves instead of, you know, electing someone else to do it for us. That's, that's the gist, I guess. I don't know if I've done a decent job explaining it, but well, that's self-regulation. Very, that definitely is, you have to have an optimistic view of humans. It's highly faithful. I honestly think that like an anarchistic um, philosophy is the most faithful, like humanistic philosophy you can have because it, it, it is to say that we, we would do better if we, if we just trusted each other basically. Right. Mm -hmm. And kind of like you're talking about, about the self-fulfilling prophecy of, of, um, what like are people inherently good? Well, if you believe it, like you'll probably be a good person as a result. Like to believe in an anarchistic world, it's not to say I'm going to destroy the government and I'm this bullshit. Like never, ever, ever. But I I view things from this perspective of systems self regulate, so it gives me faith in that. Like if there's a problem, like I think first and foremost we need to sort of like take our influence out of it and watch it for a while you know reflect on you know accept the feedback let 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 natural systems play out it's why i'm a free market sort of thinker too i call myself an anarcho capitalist there there are other folks that call themselves anarcho communists and for, for me that's really hard to get my head around but like as an anarchist well whatever man like go be your anarcho commie self and tell me how it works and like if it's better than my idea fucking a like but i believe in free markets in that clearly like shit goes wrong and mistakes are made but like over time like the law of averages we always get better we always produce less waste we always you know efficiency is is a great fucking thing to strive for economically speaking and environmentally speaking my my environmentalism has shifted so radically man like <laughs> okay so i'm i'm kind of interested in your perspective on you know something like a carbon tax hmm. because like i don't know on some level it feels like on a smaller scale self-regulation makes sense. But once you get to this point where it's on a global scale, it's like so abstract and disconnected from the consequences that like it breaks down. Well, I'll put it this way. I think, um, I think we're beginning to understand the important of the importance of what we're, we're calling externalities, right? Mm -hmm. So externalities, these are costs that are not incurred by the, producer or the consumer for that matter these are costs to the environment so that's what a carbon tax is that's that's trying to quantify an externality right and i see the appeal and i see the logic and i have no problem with it basically if it's a part of our self-regulation this is I have a hard time explaining my anarchism because I'm not inherently anti-government. I just think, Mm. I think we have way, 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 way too much of it. Mm -hmm. So my anarchism, you, some people would call it like minarchism, but I see myself as okay. No, like if there's an enemy, I'm not like 
80% against them. <laughs> you know? I'm 100% against them until they're no longer my enemy. Mm-hmm. And so if we have too much government, what choice is there but to be anarchistic for a time? This is to say that I have the ability to change my my definition of myself at some point. Yeah. You know, but for now, this is what I'm comfortable calling myself for these reasons, right? And so many people don't like hearing that, you know? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just such a scary word, but there's a lot of thought that goes into this, you know? And I, like I said, I saw so, the inside of the National Park Service, and it's the, as far as I can tell, that is the most altruistic form of government that we have. It's mm-hmm. the National Parks. Mm-hmm. The most, you know, you could say that like caring for people is more important. That's exactly why the parks are more altruistic is because it's inherently like caring for everything except us, you know. Mm. But my issue is that from what I could tell, it was not being done all that well. I think I think. At, at the time when the national parks were incepted, it was brilliance. It was perfect. We did not have too much government, really, at that time in history. And so this was the greatest idea in government. You know, Teddy Roosevelt said it's America's best idea, the national parks. I think he was right. And he started setting these pieces of land aside, and it's great. And we've continued to carry that on, and it's protected by law, and we should maintain that. But we've reached this point where I think decentralization across the board is a good idea. So instead of having a national park system managed from Washington, we just need national parks that manage themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe they need to charge admission fees, you know, like they're so underfunded. Yeah. But like people want to go there and they're getting more and more popular. And like so many of them, like they'll charge you at the door or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's far from being like each park regulates itself. There's a lot of um, I think there's so much loss via administrative BS. Right. Like. Yeah. For for a concrete example, I was an intern with the Park Service. I got paid. I was there for 12 months and I got like 300 and change every 2 weeks. So I don't know what that multiplies out to exactly. 600 a month by 12. Help me out here. What's that like? It's not much it's money. It's like 7 something. Yeah. 17 grand a year or something. Yeah. So I wasn't making much. I found out that they were paying, you know, basically I was outsourced. I was hired in by AmeriCorps, which is a whole nother government bureaucracy or pseudo government. And, and basically 40 grand disappears between the park paying to have me and me like getting the money. It just, you know, goes away. And I don't know what that, you know, it's, that's administration. That's, 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 have you ever heard of the iron law of bureaucracy? Um, I don't know if I've heard of that specifically, but 
it just the keeps growing. Is that <laughs> that's the that's the gist? So the gist is that there are two types of people in any bureaucracy. Number one, the kind that are serving the mission of the bureaucracy, right? The people you want. Number two, the people that serve the bureaucracy itself. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that bureaucracy inherently grows out of control, but just to say that there are those two types of people. And the, the second type of person, if it's not like, if you're not careful, they're gonna let it grow out of control because what else do they have to do? You know, yeah, and we have the supreme value of the 40 hour work week and we <laughs> got to yeah, make man. more jobs. <laughs> well, it's like, I don't know how many people are getting paid, you know, with park service money that have never even stepped foot in the parks. Right. Like mm. that's, that's my general feeling on it. And I'm, I'm not going to say that's like the ultimate truth. That's just my experience. But I saw a lot of really like dedicated people that were kind of banging their heads against the wall because of red tape and, you know, wanted to do more, but like weren't allowed. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And then there's mm -hmm. the people, you know, there's kind of like, as far as people working on the ground in the parks, my experience was you were either highly passionate and you really cared or you were just, punching the clock, getting that government pension, taking naps under the tree instead of working. Like I saw both. I saw both. So again, it's, yeah. you know, it's not to say that some level of government isn't necessarily like a good thing in that situation. We need to protect these spaces, but the way it works when you have these massive bureaucracies involved is that there's just no accountability on the ground, basically, you know? Mm. Again, just yeah. my experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't know. You you tend to get that in a lot of situations though. I don't know. So I I know that like a big critique of government is that it's like inefficient and mm -hmm. has a lot of like unintended consequences. But I always think the counter to that is just like is the alternative really better? Um, Do you think we would know. let each other like starve in the streets? I guess that's the ultimate question, right? Without government, like would we help each other? Right? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about how individualistically and like separated and like, you know, yeah, just how separated everyone is. How weak um, our communities are. How weak our communities say. are that, yeah, maybe maybe we would react by building better communities. I don't know, but maybe we're too far gone and we would just let people die on the street. I mean, I don't know. It's pretty weird, yeah. uh, especially living in Portland. I mean, the homeless population is pretty large and we just mm -hmm. kind of accept it as like a thing and it's very weird being you know living in that i've uh, heard dichotomy I've, <laughs> well and it just like you know you hear about i've heard this exact like issue about um los angeles in particular yeah but um they were talking about how much money is spent um sort of on the homelessness issue right it's like yeah 
I think it's like half a billion dollars. It's like 500 million or something just for Los Angeles. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure about that, but it was like a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. And, and they were kind of talking about like, where's this money even going? you right. And like, you've got people in administration that are getting paid like, you know, 300 K a year. It's like, does that seem reasonable? You know, like, if your job is to help the homeless, do you need to get paid 300 K a year? Or would you not be maybe like better off working for a church who pays you, I don't know, like 70 K so you can like live comfortably. But like, (laughs) you know, I think churches would do a better job. Like I really Mm. do. But the problem is the churches are clearly like in decline clearly. So we need an, we, if, if we're going to abandon government, we need a, a new church, you know, like, I think yeah. that's it. I think that's I, the I self-regulation. That's interesting. You went there. Cause that was always what I figured is, is like, if you push, you know, a conservative far enough, they eventually land on, well, we would just help people through donation uh, and through the church. And like my my thought about that was always like the church seems like a flimsy institution right now that I don't well, fully is. agree yeah. with. And yeah. I don't want to rely on that as the thing that's going to help people. And like government for all of its faults is something that, you know, seems to be here to stay. And like it's I don't know, it's the best yeah. we got. So. It's kind yeah, of halfway functional. Are, it's, it's yeah. It's my tax dollars are going you know. to something, and it's you yeah. know they're they're going somewhere. But like, if we just took that away, and I don't know, we've already we've got such a culture of, you know, materialism, consumerism, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where like it's hard for people to donate their money. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's why I'm not ever ever gonna be like involved in doing government shit as far as I know like I don't know I shouldn't say never (laughs) but I guess what I'm getting at here is like I think what we need to focus on is influencing culture instead of influencing government because yeah I think you're right because we have way more influence there just just speaking like in practical terms, like, and if we can culturally like develop these shared values of like, we're not going to like abandon the poor and we're not going to, we're not going to shit all over the planet. And like, like these, it's happening. Like I see it happening. I see people, like I said, wanting to grow gardens. I'm making my living, you know, 20 years ago, if I had said, you know, I'm going to build raised bed vegetable gardens for a living. Like people would have been like, what the fuck? Like nobody's going to pay you to do that. Either they're going to do it themselves or, you know, whatever, or they're not going to do it. But no, like we're in this brave new world where people have these values and they, they're willing to spend money on what they care about. And if we can sort of channel that, right? Like, like altruistic capitalism, right? Where, people instead of just putting their faith in the government let's not even worry about the government let's not try to 
tear down the government. We'll fucking pay Caesar what Caesar fucking wants, as little as possible, preferably. But let's focus on what matters. Let's focus on our local fucking communities and cultures. And the more we develop the music scene or the food scene or the, you know, whatever, like that builds resilience that, you know, I just have no faith in in Washington, D.C., period, end of story. But I have a certain amount of faith in Indianapolis. I have a certain amount of faith in like Bloomington, Indiana, like these places. You know, I've got people in Utah like as as kind of funny as the as the Mormons are. You're just speaking about religion, right? Like the Mormons have some funny beliefs. I'll just be totally real about that. I like I think some of their beliefs are pretty out there. Mm-hmm. But they fucking take care of each other, man. They don't need no fucking government like welfare. They've got their own system. They legitimately do. Yeah, it's true. And they they are altruistic as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't agree with them on a lot of things, but like yeah. <laughs> frankly, they they do a better job in many ways than like the federal government in terms of like their welfare system. It's really kind of impressive, you know? Mm. Yeah. So it's interesting. You kind of see the garden thing as almost like an entry point for cultural shift. Dude, it's the entry and the finish line. Like it's the, it's the gateway drug. You know, I I've said like the raised bed is like, is like your, your gateway. It's like your, first toke or whatever Mm -hmm. and like i'll give you some time with that thing and like let you enjoy that that fucking green plant and then like (laughs) next year i'm gonna sell you on a fucking orchard you know like that's how we change the world you know you know that it part of it is it gets you away from your phone and stuff because your hands are in the dirt you like can't be Mm -hmm. like holding your screen Mm -hmm. and it gives you a chance to get away from those like things that are you know programming your brain a little bit Mm -hmm. and gets you to think think some space and time to think for yourself because if you don't if you don't plan that into your day it's not going to be there you will like today we we will fill every moment with something Mm -hmm. on our phone and that is like a, a way to really build into your day some time away from that. I'll put it I'll put it this way. The the benefits, you know, psychologically and physically are literally incalculable to gardening. And beyond that, I think at its core what you're doing is is building a relationship to nature. Now you and I were raised in an environment where it was all about your relationship to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. What's the fucking difference? I agree. Like, I think that's where we need to get to as a culture. I would, yeah. I, I almost want to see Christianity, like figure its shit out and be that force, but they have to like adopt like St. Francis's philosophy, right? Like, St. Yeah, Francis man, of Assisi, man, he knew about nature. He knew. He he was switched on, brother. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of people in that, yeah, that Franciscan tradition uh, had a lot more of the mystery and the, um, 
that you know some some of those contemplative practices and the, yeah the mystic yeah it's more yeah mystic and connected to nature and mm-hmm. um, christian mysticism you know like yeah. i think there's some power there if we can maybe like you don't need to segregate christianity and paganism like let's just do them both right well that's kind of that's kind of my thing that i've started to land on is just you know there's a version of christianity as like a scaffolding that doesn't have all of the like literalism and the sharp edges and the mm-hmm. this means exactly this and like if you you know embrace any other tradition you're going to hell and <laughs> yeah you know, yeah, the whole, get rid the whole, of get rid yeah. of hell as a place. Hell is just what happens on Earth when you force people to believe things. A hundred percent, man. That's I, what it is. I I think heaven and hell are so useful as like the kind like as a state of mind. Like you yes. can either you can either live in heaven or you can live in hell. It's your choice. But mm-hmm. like the threat of that like and just even just worrying about an afterlife i always thought that was like like a waste of time you know like aren't we like aren't we shouldn't we like be doing shit like with what time we have here you know and like worry about that like when the time comes (laughs) you know yeah 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 um somebody I, i think richard Rohr was quoting somebody saying that Christianity became um, this um, what do you call it an es- escape hatch to the afterlife or what do you call mm. it um, I can't remember the words right now but um, oh an evacuation plan I for see. the afterlife I like, see yeah just that's what it that's what it became about and not about you know this life and it's like jesus came to show you how to live yeah and how to love thy neighbor yeah like how to live here and now not just like so you know the emphasis kind of quickly if if you have a certain um interpretation it, it quickly devolves into this just heaven and hell John three sixteen, like religion, and it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it it excludes people and it creates a lot of fear and yeah. If we if we can create something that embraces other traditions and is just more inclusive and more just what religion should be is mm. a. Um, you know, it's full of metaphorical truths, but you know, it's not so just strictly literal. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's it was never meant to be that way. I don't think it was. I think like like if if Jesus was the dude that we come to think that he was, like I don't think he would have ever wanted the church to turn into what it's turned into. No, not, not to say that it's all wrong. You know, they're, they've got some things right, but like there is a colonial mindset to it. The, the evangelism and like, 
you know, we're going to go to Africa and just like make, make everything better there. But like, we're going to ignore the homeless like 10 miles away and this and that. And, you know, it's like, I think Jesus pretty much just wanted people to like fucking hang out with each other. And like, you know, Jesus was in, in my view, he was similar to the Buddha. He, he was a guy that just woke up, realized everything's awesome. Reality is amazing. That we're in this miracle of life. Everything is one. Y'all need to just quit hating. Yeah. Like, like (laughs) nothing you can say can hurt me because I, you know, I am awake. I'm awake. I've achieved, I've achieved Nirvana. Yeah. 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 And, and, and only someone like that can say something like love your enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Because he recognized that his enemy is part of him. Right. Right. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I think that there is there is some sort of, uh, you know, evolution of, of religion that can, can get to a more inclusive place that can be a source of strength that everyone can have for the community and, and take care of everyone and... Maybe we wouldn't need to rely on a, you know, government structure to do that. Yeah, man. Like, like I said, you know, I, I almost think that like government almost like did its job. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I think there was a time where it was maybe like doing a good job and maybe we can get back to that time, you know? Um, I, I, I'm such an optimist and I, again, I think that's, it's sometimes lost on people, uh, you know, when you try to share your ideas in, in little little clips or whatever. But that's yeah. the beauty of a long conversation where you can explore the nuance of things, right? And, like, use that, that seeing eye, you know? Yeah, man. Should we, like, should, just... we wrap, should we wrap up here or what do you think? You got final thoughts? I was just going to say, you know, I, I guess the question is, um, can, can the self-regulation work? I mean, I guess in theory it can shit, man. I don't know, but like, I think it's worth a try. (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking know. know, Okay. I'll, I'll put it this way. Like, I think if you observe nature, like that's all that nature does. It's, it's all self-regulation. It's, there is no um, election. There, you know, there's no like decider. There's, there's just the elements and you know at play. And um, can it work? Like, I think of course the question. Like, it's going to work. Like, it is working. We are self-regulating as we speak. The question is, can we do it better? And like. And what does it mean to work? I mean, a lot of people want to, like, have a sort of utopian idea of what we can do as far as people and, like, everybody being so so good and so taken care of. But I just think that's maybe unrealistic. So, like, self-regulation, I think the net result is positive. I think the, the, the transition can often be painful. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what, you know, 
I mean, we're all concerned about the environment. So, like, looking back 500 years from now, um, like, what would you hope would happen at this point in history? I, I mean, I don't know. But, I, like, my hope is that we have a cultural awakening, awakening, excuse me, and that people start growing food. Like, I think it's as simple as that. We don't need to depopulate. We don't need to... We don't need to tax the hell out of each other. <laughs> we just need to start growing food, you know? That's my that's my sense. Yeah, I think... Oh, I just was thinking that, like, cultural evolution is slow. Mm. Can but be. it can be fast. I was going to say. It can, it can be fast. Yeah. Um, Things happen I mean, it's all gradually... Relative. Things happen gradually and then all of the sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, you ever heard that line? Yeah. And in, in in ecology, it's called punctuated equilibrium. Yeah, like it the, reaches a threshold and then just goes mm-hmm. all the way there. Like, well, or or there's a radical environmental shift. Uh-huh. So, okay, the idea of punctuated equilibrium, um, it's one of the forms of evolution. There's sort of, I think it's like graduated equilibrium and punctuated equilibrium. So the idea is that like evolution is always striving for equilibrium. So if there's a niche that's unfilled, you know, creatures will evolve to fill the niche. And if there's a imbalance in the system, you know, something, there's always, nature works towards equilibrium and it can either happen gradually or it can happen immediately and punctuated equilibrium you know you could take the 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 asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs you know there's been what there's been like six mass extinctions including the one that we're living in currently and these are periods of punctuated equilibrium on a geologic and and evolutionary scale this is a very short window of time but due to the massive amount of disturbance to the environment, evolution accelerates. This is, yeah, this I think, is the, yeah. I think a lot of people would agree that climate change, you know, eventually would just force one of those, you know, punctuated evolutionary changes, but at the cost of a lot of people. Yeah. Well, that's why I say I fear a great storm. I do. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm not somber and, like, I'm not a bunk. I don't, you know, I'm not a freaking doomsday prepper. I've, you know, I've got some bullets, but I don't have that many bullets, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, like, I do think that people just need to kind of, like, wake up to reality in some ways and recognize that's why food to me is the most important thing because, I mean, I'm not going to make my living, like, selling you clean water. But that's about the only thing that comes above it on the list, right? Yeah. So <laughs> everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to eat. And it's such yeah. a critical part of culture. That's why like, I think we can bring people together with food. True, yeah. I think... Among other things, right? Music, everything, you know? That's one thing that I think a lot about is just how similar people are. Mm-hmm. You know, that we've got 10% of us that's different. You know, 10% of each individual is, like, way different. And that's the, like, 
10% that makes you a, a liberal or a yeah, yeah, conservative yeah. or a Muslim or a Christian or the, you know, but like most of it is all the same. We all just want to just like have a good time and mm. eat, sleep and fuck. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, yeah. like I, I I mean, I interviewed I, I interviewed Dr. Melissa a couple weeks ago, and the way she says it, everybody wants to take a good shit, have a good piss, <laughs> you know, fuck well and sleep well. Like that's yeah. you know that's about it. But no, dude, like it really is as simple as that, isn't it? Yeah, I think it ought to be. Yeah, I um, I saw this quote or this tweet that was um from this guy Jordan Hall he's just like this one of these like very esoteric YouTube guys okay it's like a very deep sense making thinker and Mm -hmm. um, he said find your tribe doesn't mean find people who think like you or enjoy the same TV show it means Mm. find people who complement each other in the fullness of human typology and who will both nurture and fight for each other to the end yes and fuck yes. Yeah. That was where I was just like, yeah, that's what, that's what the tribe is. Like our ancestors weren't just all people that liked the same thing. It was no, like people, a complimentary group of people that, you know, each had their strengths and that's what made them functional. And I'm still dwelling or like contemplating this image of chainmail, brother. I think that's what people are. That's what community. That's what a, you know, we talk about, like the fabric of our community. How about some fucking chainmail? I think that's still in some ways a fabric, but yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. It, it it illustrates that like we're we're each independent, like we're each this little ring, but there's more of us that overlap with others than there is that stands alone, right? Like in chainmail, you're not occupying a whole lot of space that isn't also being occupied by the other little rings in the armor and mm-hmm. together we're strong. But you know, I think it's a great analogy because number one, I like circles <laughs> <laughs> and, and I always say there's no sides in a circle and I, I like the idea not of concentric circles, but of overlapping, you know, of Venn diagrams, of an infinite Venn diagram of people where so much of us is overlapping. But yeah, you know, yeah, though it's it's like in that chain mail, like most of each circle is connected like there's actually only a sliver that's like the outside individual part like most of exactly. it is the, the middle part but all that said I am still such a proponent and this is where I differ with a lot of my peers it seems these days I'm such a proponent of individual liberty first and foremost in that way I am a principled individual maybe over my pragmatism because I honestly would rather see people suffer than lose freedom. Mm. And that's and that's a hard decision for a lot of people to make. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what we're looking at with COVID here. It's- exactly. And my hope would be, my faith would be that without all the manipulation and, and government interference and media 
control and whatever, all this shit that is just so, it makes your head spin. I feel that if we were addressing this problem with more of an anarchistic cultural mindset, I believe that the best voices would have risen to the top a long time ago. Does that make sense? Do you mean... What do you mean the best voices would have risen to the top, like, in government or just in, like... In general, I suppose. I think... Say... Okay, I'll put it this way. If we had... If culturally we had less faith in the institutions across the board, you know, left, right, center, I don't care where you stand, if we just simply had a little less trust in what we're being told, I think that overall, you know, I just don't think Fauci would have gotten as much screen time. I think somebody with, with maybe a broader appeal with more, more like logical, you know, like compelling arguments. Like I think Fauci, I'm not trying to go political here. I'm just saying, I think he was strictly an emotional argument kind of guy. You know, for claiming to be a scientist, he strictly appealed to emotions and that insulted half the people and riled up the other half as opposed mm-hmm. to like appealing to to reason and and altruism and just saying, look like I mean, that video you sent me, yeah. Eric Weinstein, he said it better. Th- I wish that guy was on cable TV right now talking to the whole country because he's really given shit some deep nuanced thought and he he's not damning anybody for how they've felt over the last six or ten months or you know like yeah one thing like that to rise to the top the cream has to rise you know yeah one thing that he pointed out about the whole thing is you've got certain a certain level of communication that you give to an individual and then you've got an entirely different thing that you give to the public in in public health. Um, you know, you you might you might tell the individual like all of the like detailed, nuanced reasons for something, but then when you when you're dealing with public health, you make everything into like a nursery rhyme. Three like vaccines are safe. Yeah, vaccines yeah. work, um, you know, masks work, you know, it, it's just, you have to, you have to like simplify everything down and dumb everything down. And I think they, they think strategically that that will actually save lives, but in the long term, it's disrespectful to people's intelligence and they're reacting to that. And Agreed. if those people had just leveled with people from day one, mm-hmm. if Fauci had come out and said, look, we've got, we, we messed up. Okay. And we don't have enough masks for our healthcare workers. And, yeah. you know, we just are asking everyone as a country to come together and save these masks for our, our, um, healthcare workers, you would have had a response of every single industry being like, how can I convert my, my factory into a mask factory today mm-hmm. so we can get masks for everybody? 
Instead, you had them lying, you know, saying masks don't work. And it's like somebody calculated, okay, well, it's for the greater good if we have this noble lie lie of masks don't work. And it's just, it's really disrespectful to people to treat them as if they can't understand what a vaccine does or, or what a mask does or whatever. And you're just like saying things, you know, just because strategically you think it'll get people to do what you want. Trying to manage behavior is what you're trying to do. Instead of, instead of, instead of speaking the facts, right? That's what everybody deserved. We deserved the facts and instead we got management. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. We want, we yeah. want people to level with us and you know i i think if from day 1 they had just done that then we would have been more unified we could have probably saved lives in the end um you know if they if the message is hey you know we aren't able to test this vaccine long-term yeah. and there might be some inherent risks, um, but we think it's safe and we think that the risks of COVID are greater. Um, that would have been so much well, so much better tolerated. Exactly. We, we think that this is good. We are asking that you do this out of, out of altruistic intention to, to help solve this problem. As opposed right. to this, this is something you must must do. But yeah. you know, all all of that aside, I think that is my biggest issue with um, sort of central planning in general. And like we've gotten to this point now with the internet and with technology, where we like, do we really need the big cable like news agencies, like? I don't think so. Like I, there's so many other ways aside from these centralized institutions that have been, that have been trusted in the past, but clearly are like corrupted at this point. It, this goes across the board, you know, big companies, big government, big media, like let's just start looking for solutions elsewhere instead of fighting them. Or like, I, like I guess I'm trying to get away from COVID because I I still don't know what's right there. I really don't. My mm-hmm. feeling is that people simply need to take care of themselves and do what they feel is best. And like, and I wish from day one somebody had been talking about like y'all. We need to stay hydrated. We need to be fit. Like y'all need to get on the goddamn treadmill. Like. Yeah take some fucking vitamins and like we'll we'll keep you appraised like i wish there was so much more humility from the from the medical leadership and the political leadership like we think this thing spreads on surfaces we we think that masks will help instead of just like wagging that damn finger in everybody's face People yeah. got fed up with it in a hurry. And clearly we're just like, people are digging in deeper. And I've tried really hard not to let myself be like manipulated by that, 
that entrenched, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, but it's so hard, man. It's so hard to like have an objective view when, when there's just like not a lot of nuance in the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, people didn't, (laughs) we didn't learn our lesson from uh, Trump getting elected. It's like people were fed up with being told that they're dumb and treated like they don't, you know, have a brain. Yeah. Yeah. And just keep doing it. Dude, I've said it before. Like, I don't really blame Trump for jack shit. Like, I think he was just a boil. Like, he was just a symptom of a deeper illness, you know? Yeah, I think so, like, too. I really don't give a fuck about Donald Trump at this point. I don't like, I don't care. And I never really <laughs> did. I never really did. Like, I've chosen to be apolitical because I think, honestly, I wouldn't have been able to, like, build my business. I mean, it's weird to say apolitical because, like, I'm politically... I'm interested. Clearly we're talking about all this stuff, but I've refused to choose a side. Yeah. And I think if I had chosen a side, I like, I don't know, man, (laughs) I see so many people that just like, can't get out of, of what they, they're like, they're so entrenched in their ideas and it doesn't matter which side, like so many people on the left will not ever accept that. Like, medical freedom should be respected and people on the right will never accept that like maybe masks helped and like it's why can't we just fucking have like a little bit of compromise I don't know I again I I think the source of the issue is the centralized power first and foremost end of story like if we had more decentralized if we valued decentralized Systems. That's a concept that's hard for people to grasp, maybe on a large, like cultural scale. But if we could impregnate the culture with the desire for decentralized systems, I think things will always work out better because we'll recognize when things have gotten a little too big and we'll, we'll decentralize it, you know? Yeah, but I wonder, you know, obviously mainstream media is terrible and the you know cable news 24-hour news cycle is not positive but if we switched to a fractured media system like where it's just like 500 media outlets just all on the internet mm-hmm. there we do still have issues that are at a large scale where we need some sort of consensus in order to actually, you know, tackle the, the problem. Um, so I, I think that's where, yeah. you know, you do need some, some sort of institution to be able to like deal with those problems on a large scale. Cause it would be nice if the virus only affected your state, but it spreads. I like I I totally see like the argument and that I mean this is this is the core argument in my mind and um I would have preferred even if it meant that I hate to say this but even if it meant that maybe more people died in the short term 
I would have preferred that every state just kind of, or every town or every, I wish every place did their own thing. And this, this is, you know, an abstract thing I'm doing here. This is almost impossible with our current state of things. But if every town, say, was in complete isolation and was addressing this illness, you know, without any knowledge of what was going on elsewhere, I honestly think we would have, like, found out what the best regiments were for, you know, prophylaxis early on or earlier and we would have been we wouldn't have been arguing about all this shit like I don't know why we're still arguing about ivermectin like because I think it just seems to be like pretty harmless and pretty beneficial and why didn't we like let that kind of just play out instead of you know it's all this shit yeah, it's like I, if there were towns that had just kind of like took their own strategy and found something that worked I don't know I just always think that top-down decision-making leads to slow you know it's the feedback loop it's this it's the observation interaction accepting of feedback this loop and the further away the control power the control center is from the actual you know people on the ground it's it takes time there's a lag effect there's i wish every little town was just figuring it out for themselves and then they'd say "Ooh, we figured something out everybody look here and I, but that was never allowed it was never allowed I don't think but I don't know I you know it's like I'm almost sick of just even talking about COVID but I think we're going to be talking about it for freaking for decades you know like we're going to be talking about it so I guess I need to not be like afraid to even go there but there's just so many people are convinced they know how we should have done it. Like a lot of armchair quarterbacks. My opinion is I don't know how we should have done anything, but I would have preferred if we had tried some different shit, you know, again, I just always will argue that like decentralized decisions are usually better decisions in the long term, Even if in that first couple weeks, maybe things were a little messy. I think long term it would have been better. Bro, the the computer gods are against us. I think we just need to wrap her up. (laughs) My phone died, actually. That was totally on me. (laughs) I don't even know, man. I don't even know what I was saying. I have no clue. Alright, yeah, so... Technical difficulties, long conversation, hard to know how to wrap it up, but we're back and we're about to say goodbye. Yeah, man. What do you have to say for yourself, Coleman? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, yeah, I really, I really enjoy the conversation. I think, you know, we, we covered a lot of different areas, but, you know, in the end, um, I think we definitely want to emphasize the importance of nuance, the importance of being comfortable with saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I think in general, just the importance of, um, loving the moment, having an aim, aim, aiming high and experiencing the joy of, of moving towards it. Amen. 
Yeah, life's too short not to enjoy it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, like I, I sure hope we do this again. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a conversation worth having, you know, and it'll never be over. I don't think. Yeah, man. I think, I think it'd be fun to like kind of maybe zero in on, on one of these topics and get in a little deeper. Yeah. 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 We just no kind of were exploring today. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, man, you just, you pose it and I'll, I'll, you know, any topic you want to talk about, I'm game. I'm, I'll talk about damn near anything. All right. Sounds good. Man. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm going to do a podcast probably tomorrow all about the 12 principles of permaculture. So give that one a listen and, you know, let me know what you think about it. All right. Sounds good. We'll do, man. Right on brother. Well, it's been a pleasure as always. Uh, wish you well. And, you know, hopefully I can make it out there to the pacific northwest soon yeah pleasure's all mine man and you're welcome anytime rock and roll peace see you (laughs) so how about that y'all i call that one hell of a conversation right and you can only imagine how uh fucking frustrating it was to lose that chunk of audio but you know what I just kind of like accepted it and moved on and uh, I hope I did a decent enough job kind of editing that together you know I really prefer to give you sort of an uncut conversation you know because to me that, that that that's a sign of sort of honesty like the less editing the better right I don't want to give you the impression that I have anything to hide. Um, cutting certain stuff out, you know, if it if it doesn't sound so good or this or that, you know, it, it takes away the authenticity. So what I always am going to strive to get you is like pretty uncut conversations, but just the gods of computer land decided to work against me here. And I'm thinking... I'm thinking I'm going to have to buy myself a new computer ASAP because it's no fun to to create something beautiful and then have the have the technological gremlins come up and snatch it and destroy it and make your life more difficult, you know. Luckily, I had the time today to sit down and sort of make this episode whole again but that took some time it really did so i'm hoping this never never happens again this kind of difficulty but thankfully you know coleman had audio equipment of his own he recorded things on his end so he could get the best quality and what that means is that i didn't lose his voice which being that he was the guest you know that would have been difficult to replace but I hope you all enjoyed it. It's been a long one, you know, two hours and 15 minutes. That's that's a pretty decent little chunk of time. So if you still are hearing these tones coming through, I really do appreciate it. Um, these these early days of the Easy Peasy podcast, you know, I, I recognize that there's just not hardly anyone listening yet. But that is the important, that's the operative word, yet. 
you know, I, I believe that, that I'm onto something here, that this is a, this is a powerful platform to speak through and that my, my ideas while, well, sometimes not always popular or, or even easy to understand. I think my ideas are worth sharing. (laughs) So guys, I just, I just want to say thank you. You know, like I assume if, if this shit was boring, you wouldn't still tune in. So do me a favor, you know, go on to iTunes and give us a rating, give us a review, uh, you know, share this podcast with your friends. I, I really would appreciate it. Uh, I'm not doing this purely just to hear the sound of my own voice. You know, I believe I could, I could influence, I could be a positive force in this world. And, uh, and I'm going to ask for your help to do that. So, One love, everybody. You know, thanks for tuning in. And I'm going to talk to you soon. This has been Mike Whistler with the Easy Peasy Podcast. Talk to you soon.